I want you to think back to a time that you were on a winning team. Could be all the way back in Little League, junior high, high school. It may have nothing to do with sports. It could be a choir. could be uh, a band you were in, or perhaps it was a grouping in work. You were part of a cohort who had a project to do. There's some type of grouping you've been in where you've been in a situation where you won with a group of people. I don't know if there's a more satisfying feeling than when you're in a cohesive group of people who are working together for the same project. I mean, there is something entirely satisfying of winning together, not winning at all costs, but winning as a group, doing things right and moving together. You know, I've been thinking about our church a lot in the last couple of weeks, and we have so much going well right now. Oh, what a week of VBS. Thank you for volunteering for VBS. Thank you for financially supporting our students going to camp. Thank you for being part of the all-church picnic yesterday. There was a lot of sweat. There's a lot of per- people's personal finances and effort that went in to make that just a whole lot of fun. Camp Blast, the various small groups. I have a platform. I can see the different small groups that are meeting, and they're so good. And sometimes when you're in the middle of something great, you don't recognize it. You need to take a step back to see, wow, this is going well. This is good. I want you to take a step back, especially for those of you who are part of this church. I want you to understand and realize something, that we are in a really good place. Not a place of contentment, because I could easily come up with 20 or 30 things we need to improve in. I mean, we need to continue to get better and improve and refine and all of those types of things. But this is a good place. And God's doing a great work here. God's doing a great work, and it's just going to get better. That's God's plan. God's plan is for everything to get better with his leadership. But you know, Satan has a plan also. Satan has a plan for this church. And I believe one of the enemy's greatest strategies for our church is to have disunity come and be part of this body. That's why today I want to talk to you about unity in the anointing. The title of the message is, Unity Brings the Anointing. Unity Brings the Anointing. And God's going to really help us today. I want to talk a lot about this church because most of us are part of the church. I realize we have visitors here and you may be part of another church. But I want you to know that everything I talk about today applies to other arenas of your life. It applies in the marketplace. It applies in the family. The things I'm going to discuss today, though there will be some things unique for the church, the general message and most of what I say today applies to your marriage, to your family to almost every area of life. And here's what God wants you to know. Unity is important to every area of your life. God wants there to be unity in the different environments that you have. Now, I want to share a few things with you that are not on your notes because this came from some further reflection this weekend. 
What are some things that bring unity to anything, to an organization, to a family, to a church? You know, one of the first things that come to mind is a cause. Uh, when we have the right cause, you can put that on the screen for me. The right cause is the beginning of unity. And what greater cause do we have? I mean, there is no greater cause that the church has. We are Jesus Christ representative to this world. So what we do really, really matters. What we, what we do makes a huge difference. So I think we can all agree that we have a great cause. Can we agree upon that? So the next thing that I think is in the ingredients of Jesus' unity is good leadership. Now, this can be maybe a little more subjective. I personally think there's awesome leadership here. I mean, I think you guys have tremendous leadership, but I know, you know I'm not, thank you for the woo, but uh, okay, that can be subjective. But let me, let me brag a little bit on other people in leadership. Our leadership board, our elders, our 242 leaders, I'm telling you, our children's directors, our staff, wow, wow, great, great leadership. And it's an honor to serve alongside that team. But if you have a great cause and you have effective leadership, again, this is applicable to all areas. Here's a third component, culture. Culture. What type of culture is happening? And culture is the essence of how we relate to one another. Culture, someone once said that it's the space between us. And culture is something that sometimes you feel before you can define. How, how does it feel when we get together? I've been in atmospheres where it just feels funky. It feels gross. It feels icky, you know? And then I've been in other environments where things just feel good. It feels right. And that's what I hope we can produce together. And so there's, there, the issue here comes, I've, when you have all three of these together, awesome things happen. So I believe the church has a great cause. But I've seen pastors who are great leaders that were ineffective because the culture of the church was bad. They're mean people, stubborn people, unpliable, didn't want to grow. So great leadership can't overcome a bad culture. But a good culture needs good leadership also. I, I hope God's helping us to have all three of those. And today I want to focus on the culture aspect of it. Because if I was listing, uh, you know, what characteristics make a gr great culture, unity would be at the top. Probably the top. Because unity encompasses a whole lot of stuff. I want you to know this. My heart, part of my heart is broken today. I have been exposed to just some ugly, ugly stories of disunity in God's church. You know, there's something that happens when, when people get together and they aren't really following the Holy Spirit or they're not really upholding this value of unity. Things can get really, really bad really fast. I know Satan's at work. He's wanting to divide his church. He's wanting to divide God's people. So this is a good Sunday. Today's a good day to lift up the value of unity. 
And, and to say, we want to be a people who long for unity. We want to have our hearts drawn towards unity. We, we want to be people who recognize what God can do when we're on the same page, and that page is His page. We, we want to be people who, who sacrifice our preference for God's unity so that God would be glorified. And Romans 15, starting with verse 5, says it great. Romans 15, 5 says, Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, how many are, aren't you glad God encourages us, right? Allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. With a united mind and voice. Therefore, accept one another just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. That's God's call for us. It's God's heart for us. Now, when we, when we talk about this, unity, it, I, I was reflecting on what happens when we're in unity and, and go back to your own story. You remember a time when you were on a winning team? Most likely being on that winning team was simply fun. You know, unity is just fun. It just makes life better when you're all together in unity. Some of you may not know this. We don't talk about this a whole lot around here. But this church today is a result of two small churches that merged in 2008. I was leading a church plant in Gallatin. And the church that was at this building here didn't have a pastor. So we came together, changed the name to the Church of Indian Lake. And it was one of the great miracles I was part of. But sometimes a blessing in favor of God doesn't come without some challenges. And those early days were pretty challenging. You were combining two worship teams, two prayer teams, two board of directors, two sound men. I mean, everything was like everyone had to give up something. And there were some challenges to it. It was stressful at times. And, and people were peeling off from both congregations. There, we were getting new people in, but more people were peeling off than that. And there was some, you know, human nature just... There was some distrust. There was just some uncertainty. But David Huff and I were the two staff members from the church plant. And Penny Cowart Sims and Deanna Powell were the two staff members from this church. And we and our spouses and our families, most of our kids were about the same age, came together uh, in unity in a way that I had never seen before. And Beth and I would lead staff meetings on, it was Monday or Tuesday, and, and David and, and Deanna and Penny were part of those and some others here and there. And they were just a riot. I mean, we laughed and laughed and laughed. We had the best times at those staff meetings. Even though that there were some circumstances that were really tough. Because the staff had said, hey, we're, we're going to be on the same team here. We're going to get on board here, and we're going to be in unity. And we made a commitment to both the church and to each other. And, man, it was fun. It was fun. One of the reasons I bring that up is, is a little bit of a shift. Some of you don't know Penny. She was in the first service, but she's only going to be working with us two more weeks because she's pursuing a career in education. And we're very proud of her for doing that. But she will be 
so missed, and I, I so enjoyed working with her. And just uh, thank God for her friendship and her influence on this church. But th- those are the days unity is simply fun. And there's this energy. It's contagious. I mean, it's the it factor. You, can, you, can't, you can't describe it. You can't analyze it. You just feel it. You know, it's a, that spirit of unity that, man, we're, we're on the same page. We love one another. And, and we're following the same cause. And we're going after it together. And I can point it out better than I can describe. It's a great, great feeling. And I want your heart to long for it. I want your heart to seek after that. Now, there's something more than just positive emotion or fun when a church comes together. And that is, there's something called the anointing. And I want to spend a moment talking about what is the anointing. What is the anointing? The anointing is different because the anointing is the touch of the Holy Spirit. The the anointing is the mark of God. When God anoints something, it means it's set apart. It's sanctified. It's different. It's for the purposes of the Lord. And so you've heard it. You can hear someone sing good. And you've heard an anointed singer. When someone's anointed to sing, the Spirit of God's on them. Uh, There's a difference between a great speech and a great teaching or anointed teaching or anointed sermon. The touch of God is on the anointed teaching. The touch of God is on the anointing, uh, anointed sermon. That's the difference. It's the touch of God. God's separating. God's sanctifying. And in the Old Testament, a symbol of God's touch was the anointing oil. It wasn't an oil that had power in itself. It was a symbolic oil. And when something was anointed with oil, it was a physical sign of a spiritual act. God was saying, this is separate. This is holy. This is for the purposes of God. And so what would happen is the temple or the tabernacle before the temple They would take this oil and they would put it on the utensils and they would put it on parts of the tabernacle or the temple to say, this tent, this building, these artifacts, this table is set apart for God. It's set apart for worship. Then when in the Old Testament, God would set apart a priest like Aaron and the Levite tribe and set them apart. The physical sign of that was the anointing oil. When God would set apart a king, the physical sign of that was the anointing oil. Now, let's go to Leviticus, and we don't go to Leviticus very much, so this is a different scripture, but I want to I want you to read with me what is what I just summarized. Leviticus chapter eight, verse ten and twelve says, Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it. Why? Why did he do that? Was that just out of habit? No, to consecrate them. Consecrate means it's set apart for the purposes of God, to make separate, to make different, to make holy. And he sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar with all its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. So those are the people. Now, those are the artifacts. Now, here's the person. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed and consecrated him. 
Now, look at that word there. He poured oil on Aaron's head. If you've ever been in an anointing service, sometimes we take the oil and we kind of dab it on our fingers and kind of place it on someone's forehead as a symbol. Hey, there was none of that. In Leviticus, they poured the stuff on Aaron. They poured it on the priest, and it, it was on his head. Now, there's a reason why I'm reading this very unusual scripture. It's because I want you to understand another scripture we're about to look at. And we're about to look at a scripture. We're about to read an entire chapter of the Bible together. Luke, my son, just got worried. Well, here's the deal. It's only three verses. This is good. So if someone asks you, when's the last time you read a chapter in the Bible? In the next 60 seconds, you'll have that accomplished. And it's a chapter that means a lot to me because I always loved the feel of the scripture, even before I had knowledge of what it meant. But this Leviticus chapter 8 passage is going to help you understand the very poetic, beautiful language of Psalm 133. Reading the whole chapter, this is what Psalms 133 says. And I chose the NIV because this is the first place I learned the NIV. It says this, Psalms 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Can we just say amen to that? All right. It's just a good thing. (laughs) It's pleasant. It just feels right when brothers live in unity. Now, here's the part that used to sound good, even though I didn't understand it. But now I understand it because of Leviticus 8. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. Y'all remember that from Leviticus 8? The pouring of the oil. See, God set apart Aaron and the Levitical tribe saying, you're special, you're holy, uh, you're consecrated, you're anointed. The mark of the Holy Spirit, the mark of God's approval, the separation. And here he's saying this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Here's the simile. It is like Oil. It's like Leviticus 8, pouring on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe. The more language, it says it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. That's the place of perfection. For there, in the place of unity, the Lord bestows his blessings. Do you see that? Even life forevermore. The Lord's blessings are on the place of unity. Let's go back to verse 1 again. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Unity is good. The anointing of God comes through our unity. In fact, let's think about what oil does in the natural. Oil in the natural in our engines reduces the friction. Is that right? Okay, thank you. Steve Douglas, our local mechanic. Which I shouldn't have said that because that means everyone's going to ask you a car question on your way out today. But oil takes away the friction and causes the machine to operate correctly. God's anointing on it reduces the friction. It gets us moving the same direction. It causes the machine to work the way God wants it to. It's good. It's beautiful. It's what God wants. So what does this mean? I'm going to give you a couple of things that are on my mind today. Number one is this. Unity is not uniformity. (laughs) 
Unity is not uniformity. I'm not asking you to trust and follow your leaders blindly. God wants you to think. Think spiritually. Think critically. And knowing this, that to live in unity doesn't mean you lose your opinion. To live in unity doesn't mean you lose your unique God-given perspective. It means you take your opinion and you take your perspective and you handle it and use it with maturity. Because God has made you an individual. He's given you experience. He's given you a distinct personality. He's given you special opportunity because you are a contributor to the family. You're a contributor to the group. And you won't lose that uniformity. We wrongly believe that just because, to have unity, we just have to shut up and just do what we're told. And there, there is submission, I understand that. But God wants to use your uniqueness, and he wants you to take that uniqueness and couple it with maturity. And so what does that mean on a practical level? If you want to be part of a special team, if you want to have God's unity in your family, if you want to have God's unity at the workplace, there will be times of disagreement. That will happen. When we work with marriages, we have a marriage enrichment coming here on July 9th. We work with premarital counseling. We often say this. It's not if trouble will come to your marriage. It's when trouble will come to your marriage. That's not a defeatist attitude. That's a reality because when people interact together, there's friction. And so... We, we know ahead of time there's going to be relational challenges in our marriage. There's going to be relational challenges at our workplace. There's going to be relational challenges in our church. Then we can understand that we can be in unity even when we're not in uniformity. That means for me that sometimes I lose the argument to win the unity. Sometimes it's better not to win the argument because you'd rather win the unity. Now, that, that means, that doesn't mean we don't stand for righteousness and holiness and for God's word. But it means that we have to have the, the diplomacy to understand what is worth fighting for. What's worth standing up for. Maybe the social intelligence to discern that. The maturity, for sure, to discern that. That not everything is worth fighting for. The things that really matter to us, the Holy Spirit will lead us. Because confrontation does happen in the scripture. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Peter, all of Acts 15. You know, the scripture is not this tidy little story about a perfect church. There, there is friction in the church. There is conflict. But unity happens in there. And me personally, you know, I've made a decision often to lose the argument to win the unity. It's just much better. But you know what we really, really like? We really like our opinions. Our opinions are really important to us. But I want my love for my brother or sister, or for my spouse for that matter, 
to be greater than my love for my opinion. On the things that don't matter. On the things that are negotiable. On the things that are preferential. Those are the areas where we have to love unity. Some would say this is a sign of weakness. That a powerful person is authoritative and always asserts himself. But I say it's a sign of wisdom. And we think of the greatest sermon ever given in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus calls us to a different way of life. You see, unity is very, very easy to maintain when you agree with everything that's happening. Unity is a challenge when it's not our preference. Or things don't meet our expectations, because that's often what happens. We, we create expectations in our mind, and when those aren't met, then, then we choose the wrong path of disunity. Here's the second thing I want to share. Man loves conflict, but God loves unity. And we do. We love conflict. I mean, I've done this a lot before, and you probably have too, where you retell a story about a time when you told somebody off. Said, man, I told that guy, if you ever do that again, then I'm going to such and such and such and such. We never actually do what we threaten to do, but it feels good, right? It feels good to... Tell somebody off. It feels so good that we retell the telling off over and over again. Yeah, you know, we'll retell the story and say, I got in her face and said, you shouldn't do this. And if you ever do this again, I'm pointing my finger. And there's something powerful about that. There, there's something, I would even say, addictive about it. It'd be interesting to see if anyone's done a study of, like, the addiction we have to the adrenaline of rage. And so we have to feel rage. And there's something within us that seeks out conflict. We seek out rage. We, we, we seek out a chance uh, to be in a strifeful situation. I've been removed from a strifeful situation to a peaceful situation. And I remember it feeling odd. Like, like I was missing something in my life. Like, what's going on? There's, there's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to complain about. There's nothing to... Uh, go off about because God had taken me out of a place of strife to a place of peace and I wasn't used to a place of peace. But as followers of Jesus, he wants our hearts to seek out those places, to seek out the place of peace, to seek out the place of unity because that's where his presence is. That's where the anointing is. Earthly power brings fear and intimidation. God's power brings peace and life. And love. And I want you to understand this that as a man or woman of God, God has called you to bring peace to every environment He's given you. You're to bring peace to your family. You're to bring peace to the marketplace. You're to bring peace to to every interaction you have. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five, verse eight. I referenced that already, the great sermon. But look at this, verse nine. It says, the peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. If you're a son and you're a daughter of God, and I know all of you are, whether or not you've discovered that, you are. You're a son of God, and you're a daughter of God. That means you're a peacemaker. That means the environments that you're in improve because of who you are, or better yet, who God has made you. 
That means that where you go, there should be more peace and more love and more harmony. Uh, there should be there should be a presence of God that happens because of your influence. Guys, this is what God's called us to seek out. And if you read your New Testament on a regular basis, from Jesus and his teachings in the gospel, to Paul, to Peter, to John and their writings, most of the New Testament is about relationships. Most of it is about how we interact with one another. I know we're often drawn to other things and we have to kind of scramble around and pull the scripture from here and the scripture from here and make a case for things we enjoy, things that are exciting, things that are spectacular. And while those, it's not wrong to do that, as long as we understand that it's the relational component is what most of the scripture is about. How do you get along with your friend? How do you get along with your spouse? How do you get along with your neighbors? How do you have a relationship with your child or grandchild? How do you have a relationship with the people God's called you to go to church with and be in community with? This is the stuff that makes a difference in us being Christ to the world. This is major frontline spiritual stuff. I've given much of my life to encourage people in their devotions. I'm a big believer in what's called spiritual formations. I've studied it. And ever since I was a youth pastor, I'd say one of the greatest, the, the primary things I emphasize is, is a regular devotion with God. And so I say it once again. But here's the deal. If you don't apply the principles of the scripture you're reading, you've missed the heart of God. If you... If you're very disciplined in scripture memorization, but you're mean and you're a person of strife and you seek out confrontation and you don't seek the peace of the city or the church or the business or the family you're living in, can I just say you're missing, you're missing the heart of Jesus in the gospels. You're missing the Holy Spirit's heart throughout the New Testament. This is huge. Your key to a joyful life and a happier life in the future rests on your ability to understand these principles, that you're a peacemaker and you bring peace to the environments God has given you. And relationships should be richer because of your influence. Relationships should be more meaningful because the Holy Spirit's working through you. That's a sign of the fruit that's been cultivated in you. I love the interpretation in the message of Matthew 5, 9 says it well. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You discover you're one of God's kids when you become a peacemaker and you bring that cooperation and you bring that sense of harmony that God wants you to have. I want to ask Beth to join me up here. And I, I, I want to pray for you today. I know we're, we're reflecting on what God has said today. But let me ask this question. Do you love what God loves? That's a question you need to reflect. Do you love what God loves? I want to tell you what God loves. God loves it when his kids get along. God loves it when his kids get along. And if I can see this in my children, you know, my children, I have three kids that are very close in age. My daughter and son are 23 months apart. My two sons are 19 months apart. And they're stuck in a lot of environments close together. 
My boys share a, a small room. All three kids share the same bathroom. None of them are driving yet, so they're all stuck in the same van. And there's a lot of friction that happens. I mean, it's, you know, just kid stuff, right? You've seen it too. Kids issues. And so our kids squabble, you know, a expected amount. But our kids also really love each other. And as they get older and they're able to express themselves more verbally, those times happen and they're happening with more frequency. When Beth and I see or hear our children's love for one another. And can I just tell you, nothing, nothing makes my heart swell more than that. Sometimes it's some weeks that it feels rare. And other times, out of nowhere, it's a beautiful sight. And I see heaven looking down upon God's people. And, and, and when we get along, when we love each other, when we serve each other, when we prefer one another, when we sacrifice for each other, when we lay down our lives for one another, the approval of heaven is rushing into his people. That's the culture that you're creating and we're creating together. Nothing, nothing is more powerful than God's anointing. And I believe that the doorway to his anointing is our unity. It's us coming together, laying down our preferences, not letting our opinions be greater than our love for one another. And when that happens, guys, listen, we're going to see the Holy Spirit move in a unique way. I don't want to even say it's a comparative way. I don't want to say, see the Holy Spirit move like he did in days of old. Or say, to see the Holy Spirit move greater than we've ever seen. That's not wrong to say either one of those. I want to see the Holy Spirit move among us in a very unique way. Because he loves us. And we're his kids. And it starts with the choice of language we use and the conversations we avoid. It starts with the sense of grace we have towards one another as, as we're figuring out this thing. You've got a young pastor who's trying to figure out how to lead and preach and you've got a young church really it's only six years old and we're figuring out structures and we're figuring out this stuff. And there needs to be a whole bunch of grace for each other. And when that happens, wow. Can you feel what could happen? I mean, can you feel, can you sense it? You know that talking about unity is just a good thing. I mean, when I talk about unity, it just feels good. It feels right. You got this word picture in the first service that unity feels like putting on a jacket or putting on a shirt that just fits right. You know, it fits good. You, you don't want it too baggy. You sure don't want it too tight. You don't want to be wearing it too tight. It just fits right. It just feels good. And that's what unity is. It feels right. You know why it feels right? It's the approval of the Father. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that floods in the space. Let's just stand together. Let's stand together. I, I, I want to pray for you. And there's a. I want to pray for you. And it's the Jesus.